What's up, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm James, that's Katie, and that makes this the first ever episode 32 of Cloud Control. Uh, an interesting thing about the number two is that this actually might be the second time we've recorded this intro uh, because one of us, me, might have forgot to click record. So <laughs> welcome back to the show for a second time, Kate. I ask you once again, how are you on this fine evening? Uh, you know what? Pretty similar to how I was doing 15 minutes ago. Um, but I will reiterate, I'm great. Uh, I'm really tired. I'm in a little bit of pain today. I did a big old gamer move last night and spent like 10 hours at the tattoo salon getting session two of three done on my Bloodborne sleeve. Uh, and so it looks awesome, but oh my God, uh, that was, it was a lot. <laughs> no kidding. And nothing screams gamer like getting a Bloodborne sleeve. So good for you. You're officially, if, it, if hosting a gaming podcast doesn't make you a gamer, then having a Bloodborne sleeve is definitely what you're missing. I, I wanted to cover my bases either way, I think. I, so, I agree. Yeah, I'm pretty set up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we are here to talk about video games, everybody. So we're going to do just that. Um, I played the Pikmin 4 demo. We're going to start off with that. Then we're going to check in with Final Fantasy 16, which is very exciting because that game continues to just be uh, a lovely, lovely piece of media. And then Kate played another board game. So we're going to talk about Arkham Horror at the end before we close out with listener mail. Um, so we'll get right into it, I guess. And for anyone watching on the video side, we do have uh, the Pikmin 4 demo footage up from uh, a YouTube channel called Aweebo. So thank you for that. Uh, the video footage we are stealing from you, uh, but I'm sure you won't mind, I hope. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, I played the Pikmin 4 demo. Um, and this is something that I've been looking into playing for a while, just because Pikmin is a franchise that I think has always been really cool. And I've, you know, never really had a chance to play it. Didn't have Wii U for, for all that stuff. And uh, yeah, Pikmin 4, I've been, I've been looking forward to getting my hands on, on the demo here. And so played it um, earlier this afternoon. And it was a pretty cool time, you know, like, um, didn't get as far in as I wanted, but I really did. I think it was cool for what it was. I don't think it blew my socks off, as I said last time, but uh, it it was cool. And I think that having played Tinykin um, kind of, you know, wet the whistle for what a Pikmin game is like. And I, I love like that same kind of mechanic, but I, you can already tell like just from looking at what you see now, like this world definitely has that extra level of like Nintendo polish on it compared to something something like Tinykin, which is obviously a lot mm -hmm. smaller. Um, I was really impressed with how how nice this game looked actually. I played it handheld on my Switch and you know that small screen, like say what you want about the resolution and all that stuff and like the Switch's power, but when Nintendo gets it right, like these games really still do look great as, as we say around um, a lot of the first party stuff. So uh, demo starts off, you can see right now you, you kind of play as Olimar. It's really funny because Olimar is like narrating the story portion of the start of the thing. And he just has this insanely deep Japanese voice. <laughs> and it's just so like, it's so incongruent with how he looks. Like he is such a bizarre looking <laughs> character, like a little gnome guy or whatever. And he just, it's like Detective Pikachu actually in that movie. Like the way he's just so, yeah. such a deep gruff voice. It's the same, same thing. And I, I, I instantly thought that was pretty funny. Um, and you play through this kind of demo area, the start of the, of the, well, the demo uh, it takes place inside. You're playing as Olimar. You know, you have this dog that you've seen in the demos running around and lots of Pikmin you're collecting. And it kind of ultimately, you know, you collect a few, go up and fight a boss that we may get to see now. I'm, I'm not too sure, but, um, you know, classic Pikmin stuff, right? You're running around, throwing your guys at it, get into a fight. 
Um, once you beat the enemy up here, kind of the, the rest of the narrative unfolds, you get to make your own custom character. And uh, the game is kind of staged to you as Olimar is stranded on this planet. Uh, you get sent off on an expedition crew uh, to go and save him. And in that process, your crew actually also crashes on the planet. And it is now up to you as the rookie expeditioner to not only save Olimar, but find your crew members and save them as well, I suppose. So that's kind of the how it gets set up. And, um, you know, beyond that, it kind of gets into what may be described as sort of a slower, more classic Nintendo kind of demo, uh, sorry, not demo, tutorial, you know, where it's very slow and like kind of drawn out in some of the text, you know, and um, you know, the camera pans to show you different things on the map that you probably could have found without it being so explicitly directing you towards it. But at the start of the game, you kind of have to expect that kind of thing. And I really feel like once this game gets going and opens up, like there's a lot of room to sort of explore in different ways to be like, oh, you got to remember to come back to this door once you have the right color of Pikmin and, and you can, uh, you know, do whatever you need to do to get past that gate. And similar to like a lot of Metroidvania games, really, I think Pikmin has a lot of mm -hmm. that DNA kind of in how you get through the world as a game progresses. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was impressed with all of that stuff. And I think <laughs> it's funny, like beyond the gameplay, the thing that impressed me the most about the game was actually the way that it deals with its map. And so it's, it's pretty interesting. Like when you go into, it's pretty, I mean, it's an innocuous thing. I think this is something that I just end up focusing on is like maps for some reason, but you can like, <laughs> turn it with the shoulder buttons which is really nice and it has this feature that i've never seen before which is when you know you have the arrow on the map that shows where you're facing but if you click i think it's the left stick down when you leave the map that's the way you will be facing when you when you return to the game so if you're kind of you know doing like okay i need to go south this way like down this cliff you can you can just come right out of the map and be facing the right way and i think that's going to be really nice later on for sort of going back and retracing your steps and thoroughly going through this world because I know a lot of Pikmin is like collectibles and 100% and areas and stuff like that. So I, I love the way that they seem to have made that like directions easy for a game where you need to be that, combing through. That sounds like such an amazing quality of life. And if it wasn't for the Final Fantasy Codex that we've been like praising for the last couple of weeks, I think that would be in contention for like our game awards, like best new like mechanic or feature because I get so like twisted up in maps like maybe that's kind of like Dark Souls and stuff is like no map no problem I know where I'm going <laughs> like when I look at the map and then I have to be like okay I want to go this way and I'm and then I go back in the game and I think I'm going that way I'll like take a few steps open up the map see if I've gone the right direction if not it's like, okay 90 degree pivot like take a couple more steps look at the map am I going the right way this time and like, I just get so twisted up and turned around. But this is such a smart and simple way to solve that problem. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it anyway. I mean, I, I, I'm i excited to see like how well it works with that, but yeah, I'm with you. And that happens to me all the time too. Like the amount of times I'm tabbing in and out to make sure you don't miss a corner or something is like, yeah, this is great mm -hmm. for that for sure. Um, I know another thing that it does too, which is uh, <laughs> innovative, at least for a lot of Nintendo stuff is you can actually uh, hotkey a lot of the buttons on the left hand side like the d-pad can become um, it's not like any control you can put on there but you kind of get this tablet which is um, a menu so it'll have like different things like you know information about your quests or the characters and stuff like that and you can sort of choose where those go on different hotkeys so there's a little bit of customization which is not a not a foregone conclusion in these Nintendo titles so <laughs> nice to see that um, yeah 
But yeah, metal I mean, for you tried. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say beyond that, honestly. Like, it's, I didn't play far enough to get too much more into, like, what you see here on the screen right now, which is uh, once you get past the Olimar portion and you're starting out from, like, scratch, you know, I don't have any Pikmin, you're going, going to find, try and find the ship and whatnot. Um, I did do one underground section, which was kind of nice. Um, there wasn't a lot going on down there, but you can kind of see like how the biome is a lot different. And there was some enemies down there that looked like they may not have been, you know, been there up on the ground floor like this. So it seems like there's some very variety in there, especially since in the opening scene, you're also inside the house as well. So it's, I like the idea of, of going to all these different rooms, similar to like tiny kin. It was, it was cool to see like, you know, what's the next room we're going to, is it the kitchen or the living room or, or where are you going and seeing kind of those environments is, is a, a fun part of this for sure. Uh, yeah. And what's up on the screen too, seems like a big, like outside area too. Mm -hmm. And that like honey, I shrink the kids is always something that, has a lot of potential to be really interesting because it's so different to how you would normally interact in those kind of spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, It Takes Two as well. Like there's a big scene like that <laughs> in this game as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I think if I was had to have one thing that I that I would say is worrisome about the game a little bit, and I don't know if this is me just not having played Pikmin and I'm not used to like the way the game feels or whatnot, but um, I noticed that for as, as far as like, controlling the camera you can either it kind of just follows behind you the best that it can but if you hold mm -hmm. l it, it like will definitely stay locked behind your character but the one thing that i noticed is i didn't come across a lock on feature of any kind and when i was fighting that original boss like that spiky guy if he was in the video here it was kind of tough to like aim this dash you have to do at him and also like keep track of where he was shooting and also keep track of where I need to run to a, to dodge his stuff. And so I kind of would would love a lock-on feature from the way that felt. And I don't know if it's one of those things you'll get used to it and not even realize it's not there. Or maybe I'm just so used to locking on from other games like I've been playing Final Fantasy <laughs> and it's just so helpful. So that's the one thing that I think is a little different. But at the same time, it's like, this isn't really a combat game, you know? Like even the even the fights are more like puzzles. I, I get the impression than, mm -hmm. uh, than like actual like reactive, really hardcore combat. So... Um, yeah, very charming game. I'm excited to play. I think I'm excited to play this, you know, like this is okay. a, we hesitate yeah. about buying these, these games at full mm -hmm. price, but they never go on sale. And like the, the real matter of it is like, am I going to buy those Nintendo vouchers? And, uh, you know, cause they're basically, you get like 20 bucks off of a game, but you got to buy like two values worth of games here. So am I going to buy the vouchers and then I'll have a second one whenever I want another game on the switch or do i just buy this straight up i i'm not sure okay because that's gonna be my next question like having played because you were pretty like you know considering buying this to begin yeah. with yeah and so my question would have been yeah has the demo changed your mind are you definitely like in for pikmin 4 are you warier now um but overall seems seems like it was pretty pretty positive demo and it did what a demo should do yeah, no, more excited? it was good. I mean, I, I think it just confirmed what I thought about Pikmin. When I say it didn't mm -hmm. blow my socks off, like it, it didn't surprise me because I think I have a pretty good feeling on what Pikmin is. So mm -hmm. it doesn't mean like I, I enjoyed what I played, but I wasn't like, wow, I didn't realize that there was this and this and this. Like it was mm -hmm. it was very much like what I expected. But um, I'm, I'm, I think what's got me the most excited for this game, honestly, aside from it being one of the bigger franchises, in Nintendo's catalog that I've really played and like none of is just it, it actually was Tinykin 
just because that game was it, i just loved like the the uh dopamine of like finding those creatures laying around you know or it's so fun when you think you've explored an area really well and then you move under a set of stairs or something and all of a sudden there's like 10 more guys and you're like oh my god i didn't know these guys were here now all of a sudden mm-hmm. my pot like my group is so big right and stuff like that i think is just really um I don't know, something about this collectathon just really gets me sometimes when it's like creatures or things like that. And then um, I just, I'm really fascinated to see how the puzzles work in this too, because, you know, Tinykin had a variety of those creatures, but I think by the end of the game, you kind of had a very, um, it was very obvious how you would solve a lot of the puzzles, you know, like, oh, I need to get up here. I'm going to use the stacking guys, and then I'm going to use these strong guys over here. And I'm hoping that Mm -hmm. because this is obviously developed by such a, larger and more well-funded team than something like tiny can and it's the fourth iteration of a successful well reasonably successful franchise you know all of that stuff i'm just interested to see how they can expand on those set of puzzles like those type of ideas especially when you factor in having the dog i think his name's awachi um but he's like a, a big pikmin like he can attack by himself he can uh those big crack pots in the background of the video here he can like bust through those by himself it's like having a something Pikmin has never had, which is like a super unit. Um, And then later on you can ride him and stuff too. So I'm wondering like, is that, what's that going to add to the game? You know, like there's just more options here. Um, Yeah. I think another big difference in Tinykin too, Tinykin didn't really have like fights as far as I mm, remember too. I think it was just more like the exploration, but having those puzzle bosses seem like they can be really Mm -hmm. fun encounters depending on how they work and like how well they incorporate using the pikmin so yeah i i think i agree like i liked tinykin and having played tinykin definitely has increased my interest in something like pikmin because it was such a good like taste of what that kind of like weird niche style of game can be yeah um so yeah i hope you buy it and maybe i will borrow it (laughs) yeah yeah you know i I, i'm leaning towards i think i am like the i think it comes out later Mm -hmm. this month which is the only problem because it's like will i be finished final fantasy by then but um i mean yeah i think i think i probably am gonna play this like it's it's confirmed it um that i that at least like the game right like i I think i was always going to be interested in buying this unless i just hated it but i don't i just don't there's no way it's going to disappoint you know to the nth degree and be so much worse than what you think of it um after playing this is my end result Mm -hmm. i guess of what i think of it um but yeah it's cool game i'm sure i'll talk about it more when i eventually play it and um yeah i would encourage you to check out the demo when you if you ever have a chance just to kind of at least have Mm -hmm. some context for if i if and when i get the full game just so we can have that discussion because it is fun and like um I don't know. Sometimes it's nice just to go back to your Switch and be like, yeah, you know what? There is some good stuff on here. Like, I haven't played this thing for a while, but like, man, you know, Nintendo has it too, you know? Like, they really do. You know what? I think mine's getting pretty dusty these days, but you know what? There (laughs) is a ton of really good games. Like, you're right. Like, my tattooers was talking to me yesterday from playing Tears of the Kingdom. Like, yeah, that game seems really cool. Like, although they don't have good offerings, it's just easy to get caught up playing other stuff, Mm -hmm. I guess, and not forking over the money. But I mean, this game is cute. It looks amazing. Like the environments are gorgeous. All the little like tiny spaceships and things are are, like, they've got such a cute little charm to them. They remind me of like, I don't know, it's like weird style. Reminds me of like almost like a minimalistic, like stuff you'd get on a plane. If that makes sense. Like (laughs) Like toys for kids on a plane. Yeah, they're just kind of very like, round soft designs mm-hmm. i don't know you I know like, what? i like the aesthetic i have i have um 
two things I'm going to describe to you right now. It just it, This just came to my mind as you said that. But mm-hmm. there are two things that that are mashed up perfectly to create Pikmin's art style. One of them is Animal mm-hmm. Crossing. Yeah. And the other one is uh, Little Tykes or like Fisher Price. <laughs> that <laughs> is know? extremely true, especially of the people. Yeah, the people mm-hmm. are like that. And even the spaceship, like that could totally be a little Fisher Price spaceship and all the people could be in the window. Okay. You could totally see it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway you are um, correct yeah so that's pikmin um let's move along to our second topic which this is very exciting it's our second discussion on final fantasy 16 everybody uh we've been playing since last time we took last episode off from talking about this game uh we just hadn't played quite up to kind of a nice natural second stopping point as we have this time um so i think we're gonna just talk generally about what we feel about the game since we played last but we are going to be talking about some spoiler zone things as well kind of for the second-ish portion of the game i guess um and some, some mechanics as well so feel free to skip over this portion if you'd like there's timestamps below if you want to jump ahead um and consider that your warning so i guess just just starting off though kate do you have any like non-spoilery kind of notes from last time or updates of what you feel uh, i do my like one of the first many notes I made playing especially the second section of the game is that I'm really impressed and pleased by the enemy variety that you're fighting um obviously like the boss fights are insane and, and there's like huge unique cinematic battles but even when you're just out more like in the overworld like going from town to town or um, even just doing side quests I found um especially in Martha's Rest which is one of the first main places that we kind of started this what we call the second section there's just so many different types of enemies that you run into and i kept being surprised every time there was a new one because i would i got to the point where i already felt like that there was quite a bit of diversity and then i find another new thing and be like oh this is really cool and then you'd then come across like another new thing like Mm -hmm. interesting or like they'd have a few monsters um put together into a fight that were very like different combinations that were interesting so i really really appreciate that and i hope that it stays kind of consistent throughout the game because a lot of games i've found like they do a really good job of that early on but then there isn't as much variety later Mm -hmm. later in the game um but yeah so far really cool and a lot of them are really fun to fight um, also one of them is like this turtle thing and he like spins around at you in his shell, but you have to hit him like from the front. If you hit his shell, it doesn't really do anything. So that was kind of really like pinkish enemy you had to like approach different than other things. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that too. And, and one thing about the enemy variety that, that stuck out to me was like, you could, you can definitely have ran through some of these areas that we've been through now. Well, Maybe just near Martha's Rest. Maybe it's not, they're mm-hmm. not all as open as, as this one, but Martha's Rest is a fairly big open kind of, or it, it exists on a fairly big open map. And because mm-hmm. of the way that the game doesn't really force you to explore all of it if you don't want to, at least at this time, it's possible to have gone through there and, and like not seen some of these enemy yeah. types as well, which I really appreciate because it's it's like adds to the fact that you feel like, the game isn't just trying to be like, okay, we've designed 10 enemies here and we're going to make sure you see all of them because we need you to see it. Like this game is like, well, you might see six of them, but if you go over here, like there's this other guy and he'll fight you, but you don't have to run into like this type of wasp or something right now. And it just makes you feel like you're kind of discovering these things or like mm-hmm. um, there is, they're not like desperate to use every variety they have to show that off. Like they can organically have them 
in a more hidden area. And I think that it just speaks to like, there is a good variety, especially when you combine it with the variety of your moveset as well. And like the, the way that certain enemies are weak to different things or like take a certain distance from you combined with how you're approaching the combat, I think just makes it very unique. point and to your point too like some of them being kind of like hidden ish areas not that it's like hard to find like you yeah. have a map and like nothing's like gated behind like a, a tiny little path but it is something that you, you go out of your way to find so it's almost like a reward for exploring in addition to like maybe there's a chest or something sealed behind the enemy when you fight a slightly bigger one that you like discovered but it definitely like incentivized me to like kind of run around run around the areas more than if it was just kind of the same few things over and over again which might get a little bit like tedious because i think the fights are definitely more fun in the boss fights than they mm. are in just regular fights which can tend to be a little bit like spam your abilities and you're done um mm -hmm. but i mean like it's kind of a cool blend of, of there is a little bit of that power fantasy sometimes when you're running through the world and then other times you come across something that's actually quite like yeah. challenging and especially if it's like back to back when you're out in the world and you haven't healed up so mm -hmm. i think it just speaks to kind of like the rpg nature of this game right like it's in an rpg if you went back to an area where you're too strong like that's just it, like it, you could have that power fantasy but it's also just like you've grown as a character like not anything can kill you in this game because you mm -hmm. like have stats and you will level up and you're like just too powerful for them by the end um yeah i think that makes sense and um yeah what a cool game what did you, one thing i think we should touch on like spoiler free um <clears throat> we've had a lot of very positive discussions about this game but there is a few things that i think maybe could be described as weak. And one of them is the side quests so far. Um, I like the side quests in the sense that they, like not a quest does not always have to involve some kind of combat challenge or like difficult puzzle or like riddle to solve or like clues to piece together. Like it doesn't have to be a challenge to be a good side quest, but I feel like the side quests in this game almost universally have just been like super simple to the point where it's like why are you even making me do this like there's the one and it is a bit of a spoiler i guess but there's like one where you have to go and help this person find their vegetables it's like in molly's re or uh whatever reach this oh that we're talking God, about this and like example. there's this one where like you save this person she's getting attacked by monsters you save her she's like oh, i was collecting samples and, and then you're like well it's dangerous here you should go home i'll collect them for you and then she leaves and you collect the samples from like two steps away from where she was there's no enemies around like you could have yeah. done it together at very least it wouldn't make sense for her to just walk away from you while you're collecting these like it's just it's just kind of weird and you know there's other side quests where like at the kind of home base you got to deliver food to people in the hideaway and that's very simple too but it's kind of like that one just comes across as wholesome and it's an excuse to go talk to some of the NPCs and, and like, you know, maybe you're not moving so fast through the pub, then you can actually talk, like take it in. And I think that there's some like, you know, environmental narrative you could argue to that. But, you know, when it comes to like ones like collecting that plant sample and whatnot, it's just like, that's, that's so weak, you know, and I, I think they could have done better. I agree. And, and I, I've been doing all of them because one yeah, of the too. things that I've, read a few times is that they're really worthwhile to do especially later in the game and so it, it's hard to judge what if the quest is going to be worthwhile when you take it on only after you've finished it can you really like okay yes or no is that worthwhile um i think some of them have been a little bit more interesting 
Um, I think, yeah, the soil sample was that. I have in my notes just <laughs> collecting soil samples and the face of like, like a skull and crossbones, like no. <laughs> um, but some of them have been interesting. I, I think there haven't, hasn't been tons of complexity. A lot of it's like, go find this person and they're like a bit outside of the town and you have to, there, you know, there's monsters there, you got to help them out or um, go deliver this to someone or like, oh, I've dropped my, my notes. Can you go find them? But I think some of them have told some very interesting like contextual story within the game. Like there's one where um, you're in a town, this is a slight spoiler as well, but it's more just overall world building instead of like a specific beat in the narrative. But um, there's a character that a bearer has gone missing. And so the person that asks you to find him is concerned about the bearer um, because obviously one of the main themes of the game is that we're kind of like, trying to liberate the bears into having a better uh, a better life and opportunities and they're kind of seen as slaves or like less than humans right now so we're trying to work to correct that and so the person asking is part of the like one of the sanctuary people that's providing a space for bears and he's like oh you know he's gone missing I'm worried can you go find him and while you're talking to that NPC someone else comes over but he's like an asshole like an mm, average mm -hmm. person that lives in the town and he's like oh you're looking for the bearer like yeah we got to find him because he's like my slave and he's escaped and like you know we can't have a bearer running loose like how awful would that look upon the town and so he's got like this totally different reason for wanting to find the person and so you kind of have to like play this horrible middle ground where you really are trying to help this person but you sort of got to be like yeah well i mean that bear is on the I'll go get him, mm -hmm. I guess, and like placate that horrible person so that you don't get kind of caught out being on the wrong side of the law. So it wasn't an overly complex quest, but it really did add like a bit of like contextual world building that I really enjoyed. And so some of the quests I definitely do, and I'm like, okay, that was a waste of my time. Like clicking soil samples sucked. But other times I'm like, okay, this is actually like a really interesting little like mini narrative within the game. And so I don't know if I'll continue to do them. I guess it depends on the quality of maybe the next batch. I've just mm. unlocked like a big new batch of them. We'll see how they go. But I, I agree that I think at least some of the starting ones have been very kind of monotonous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, those those little flavors in terms of story, I think are the one part that does that has redeemed them so far. Like I remember mm -hmm. there's there's another quest too where you get given the reward and I don't even, I don't even know. It might've just been a potion or something, but I remember the person that gives you the reward. They explicitly say like, uh, they don't ever thank you for doing the quest. They thank your master or whatever. And they say, give mm -hmm. this reward to your master. Like as if, as if you're just like this interface that they're mm -hmm. speaking with to actually thank the person who did the deed for them. Who's not even around, like you did the deed, mm -hmm. but you're seen as subhuman. And so I think like those type of flavors are like, they could be a bit heavy handed, I guess, but I think they really do a good job of narrating like the political climate of the of the world that you're in. But uh, yeah, it's, it's more like the mechanics of the quest, I guess, that we can say are quite mm -hmm. simple. But a lot of the time it's just combat, though, and any excuse to get into combat in this game is just fantastic. So so that's fine. But um, anything else spoiler free we want to get into or shall we shall we uh, give the final warning here before we kind of go through the story beats? Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> I have two notes, I guess, that are spoiler-free. Um, and it's just kind of the writing has been quite delightful. I mean, mm. we talked about the voice acting a lot in our previous section on Final Fantasy. It, it remains fantastic. Um, but just some of the writing is really cute. Like, a lot of the item descriptions are kind of cheeky. Like, there's one you sent me about, like, 
Some of you were like kids being like too weak to hold something yeah. and like <laughs> I forget what that uh, was about too, but that was funny. <laughs> yeah, so like some of them have been quite cheeky, and then just some of the voice lines are really funny. Like I think I like fought some monsters, and there was just some like random guy nearby, and then. It wasn't even like I was talking to him, but just in the background, his dialogue was like, oh, if you hadn't come when you did, I'd have been snipped into strips by now. (laughs) (laughs) They just say like some like kind of like really funny things as you're walking around. So I don't know how intentionally funny that is or if it's just like part of the voice delivery or like maybe some translation work. I don't know, but they, they have a lot of like colloquial kind of sayings, especially like for like the UK that just have, have cracked me up quite a few times. Yeah. So that's been delightful. <laughs> yeah, I can agree with that too. That's that's for sure. Oh, I have one other thing as well. This is, a, this is actually the first note I made. It's very important. And I just wanted to point out that Gav's like whole thing so far, like the NPC Gav, his like unique thing is that he can track down, he tracks some people by sniffing, like he's got a good nose. So never like we need to, we need to follow a trail. It's like, get Gav, like he'll sniff him out. But I just wanted to point out, like, we have a dog on our team. Like, Torgo's literally a member of our party, but it's like, we got to smell something, get this dude gas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no one said anything or questioned, and the dog just, like, coming along with us anyway. <laughs> that's a good point. That's, um, that's a good point. Yeah. My counterpoint would be is that <laughs> clearly for a human, Gav is a good tracker. So mm-hmm. maybe Gav's tracking is better than... Because his combat, he sucks at fighting. We saw him in that one cutscene. That boy yeah. could not hold a sword. Like Torgal is good yeah. in combat. Maybe he, maybe Torgal's combat outweighs Gav's tracking ability. Yeah. And actually, you're better off this way. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose that's true. Like if you're gonna give one of them a job, despite Torgal probably being better at both, the discrepancy of the two fits him into combat <laughs> and Gav into tracking. That's gonna be my head like... in anyway, because your theory makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Well, I just thought it was weird. And at first I'm like, okay, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, like a metaphorical way of saying like, you know, he's good at finding footprints and like he's good at mm-hmm. tracking. But they just keep bringing up his nose specifically. They explicitly mention like sniffing and smelling and that nose of yours. And like, it can't be like just, you know, some some pretty flowery language they're using. Like Gav is legitimately just going out there, like taking <laughs> some wafts of the air and being like, yeah, you went that way. <laughs> I love it. So. Yeah, shout out to Gav. Shout out to Gav. Shout out to Goats too. We haven't seen him too much, but he's mm-hmm. still there. He's probably like polishing that chair, just waiting for the next person that needs a yeah, ride. Yeah, he's, so. he's still the goat. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, everyone. This is your spoiler warning here. Um, we have a little little uh, run through of what we've been through since last time. We ended off last time. Uh, we had just gotten... Ooh, should we say that spoiler free? I don't know how we say that spoiler free. Oh, this is the spoiler portion now. Screw it. So last time we ended off... Uh, we just defeated Garuda and uh, obtained our second icon power and kind of been through those that set of cutscenes. And so, um, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, where do you want to start off with this one? So Kuba the power, we kind of went through here sort of the, the four places that we went through. So if you're maybe only halfway through, you know, careful spoiler for the next coming up bit. Um, if you recognize all five, awesome. You're on the same page as us. So we did Martha's Rest uh, and then followed on to the Abbey uh, where the petrified bearers had been. Um, then off to East Pool, where we got our new dad drip. Uh, and then finally uh, to Phoenix Gate, where some some big mm-hmm. eventful things went down. Um, so yeah, I guess we can kind of go through those sort of in order. So we went over Mother, Mother 
or Martha's Martha. Rest a little bit. Um, it was kind of an interesting area. Yeah, a lot to do, a lot to fight. Nice seeing like kind of another town, how it works. They've got like the crystals, you know, like by like the cooking tents and like people are like doing chores, holding them. So kind of some neat world building, but the Abbey was definitely the most interesting mm-hmm. part of that section of gameplay to me, like going and seeing the bears like almost fully petrified just from basically being overworked like it's just cracked and like ruining their bodies where they're just genuinely dying from it was um you know just really reinforce a lot of what we've been talking about how they're just used for slavery and just the horrible injustice being done to this group of people yeah it it was like i mean i said i think i said it before but like the game is the game is certainly heavy-handed with like it's it's obviously like, is it an allegory? Is that the right word? Like it's clearly mm-hmm. referencing like, you know, slavery in the real world and like how inhumane people were treated. And I think, I mean, like it would be really easy to write it off and be like, okay, this is so heavy handed. It's kind of cheesy, but like, how else do you tell a story like this? Like that's what they're trying to mm-hmm. say that this was like. And like, you know, they're telling it through the story of the bearers. And I think that Clive himself, like playing through the perspective of a bearer, but even Clive, like, he has that little bit of royalty to him you know like he does have that respect he's a feared warrior obviously he's like has some powers now you know like he's not a bearer in the traditional sense of like these poor people which are just like any one of us could be born with these powers and these people are just you know treated that way that was a really um impactful scene for sure mm-hmm. it was it was it was just so sad too because i think they mentioned like the way they save them is just actually buying them but they can only afford to buy the ones that are like that are so cheap because they're unable to work so essentially they're on their deathbeds mm-hmm. the way that they're like helping is by buying people who are like right about to die and just making their final moments as comfortable as possible and it's just like holy shit like you go one moment to from having this like big bad like yeah i got my fire abilities and i'm doing wind pulls and then i'm doing this claw thing and i'm like on cloud nine just like having this cool epic fight ever to being like oh god like this is so incredibly sad i know um it was but and like, yeah i mean that, that's the whole martha's reach thing right like martha herself mm-hmm. like she runs this tab this <laughs> tab tavern in town <laughs> and i guess like the whole thing is like she uses the profits of that place to like to buy these bears and give them a place to to be and like i think that's i i hope that we get to see more ways as we go through the game of like how others are kind of helping like this um mm-hmm. you know i i like that kind of aspect of like because it would be easy to just kind of be like to mention she's doing that but not actually show us like they could have cut out mm-hmm. that whole scene and like you know i guess there's an argument like well games are you know how long is this game but i think this isn't like a 150 hour game you know like they're telling a cool story it moves along at a fast clip they have room to put in these kind of details like it, it's just well paced the whole way through i think they, like you said like you're doing combat and then you're in here this sad thing that happens and then you kind of get it some time to digest that and then two minutes later you're back and it's like it's time to fight again and i'm just it's just this great um it's like persona we talk about like you know just when you're sick of the well not sick of it when you're kind of kind of tired of the life sim stuff you're back into a palace and in this game i find like the exact same cadence of like okay i've watched 10 minutes of cutscenes, and and now here's a boss fight and like a, an area to explore mm-hmm. yeah i completely agree so um, yeah, I really like the pacing. I couldn't, I could see like some of the town sections are a little bit slow, just in the animations of you go to talk to someone, and then there's usually like a, a quick black sc- 
screen and then you're talking to them and like in the position that the characters are standing and then the dialogue comes and then there's usually like a little bit of a like watch the character walk away after they're done talking to you and then it pops up with the next like story you know like quest name and then you get going again and then maybe it's go to the other side of town talk to someone same kind of thing happens so I think those sections I can understand like if you're really not invested in the story them feeling quite slow and quite big breaks from the combat but I agree with you that I personally like I'm quite invested in the story in the world so to me they're interesting instead of just like you know the, the parts you have to slog through until the next exciting thing happens but mm-hmm. I mean I think like that's viewing the game as the whole package instead of viewing the game as one portion of it that you're that you like and you're enduring the other aspect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I really like it I, and I think that's uh, Martha's Rest. So then we go on to Eastpool and we got our cool new dad drip. Like, oh my god, is that the coolest outfit you've ever seen? We have so many belts. The funny <laughs> actually it's really funny. I was getting I got that clothing while um my roommate was in the room and I so I paused it to talk to him. And the way I paused it looked like now this is not the case. Like he is wearing like full leather pants with like these big high boots. But one of the legs of the boots has like a brown belt strap on it. And where I paused it made it look like one leg of the pants was like short shorts. <laughs> and like that brown belt was his skin. So it looked like he was wearing like sh- leather short shorts and then just like extremely <laughs> tall boots. <laughs> That's uh, which is not the case. I have confirmed since that they are indeed pants. Yeah, just they are. Strap. They are indeed pants. Um, but I was like, damn, the Final Fantasy drip. Oh, <laughs> man. It's true. Like, they got the haircuts. Now they got the drip. I, my yeah. first note, actually, down that, that I've got written for this section is, new armor given by Hannah is cool AF. <laughs> so that's actually what I wrote. It is. It is. And the, the way, like, did you, did you forge that by. sword, too, with, like, the red mm-hmm. uh, encrusting yeah. thing on the head? Like, it just looks so fucking cool having mm-hmm. that sword on the back. I, I'm sad for when we get the next sword upgrade because I don't want to craft it. I agree. I agree. It is just like super cool. And so Eastpool is another like kind of sad town, not flourishing as much as Mother's Rest. It's a lot more of like, you know, they believe in Rosarian. They want the old monarch back, which is which is the Rossfield family. Um, but they're very like downtrodden. They're being uh, like weakened a lot by the blight is very close to them. The mm-hmm. empires come in and and destroyed a lot of their economy. And there's a few bears like hiding out but also like the town is just in crumble so it's another one of those kind of like examples of the degradation of the world which i think is going to come into it quite a bit like this blight sort of so far been in the background as like the reason for why monsters attack you or like you know this path we can go is not populated so we can sneak through because no one wants to go through the blight area Mm -hmm. but i think it's really going to come into it now in a bit more of like at a clock or like some tension, like the world is sort of falling apart in addition to all these horrible political things are happening. Yeah, I think so too. And and the blight is also interesting mechanically too, because there's a kind of a throwaway line that happens the first time that you go through the the section of blight when you're exploring, I think on the way to Martha's rest, but one of them mm-hmm. says you're with Sid at the time, I think, and either Sid or Clive are like, well, you, you can't access our magic because there's no aether when the blight is present. So obviously there's going to be some sections of this game coming up where you're, you don't have access to your abilities because 
there's no aether to draw your power from, I guess, in the environment, which is how the bears do it without the crystal. So mm -hmm. I think that's going to be very interesting. Like, will we get access to crystals so we can use magic like temporarily in there? Can we use crystals? Do crystals work there or not? Like, or are we just going to be mm -hmm. fighting by some other means? You know, like that's interesting to me because so much of the fun of the game is using the abilities. So if we're going to be going into these blight areas, like, how are they going to make that fun without being able to use magic? An interesting point as well. And I think that's definitely like kind of a bit of foreshadowing for something. But, and like you said, like, it seems like such a bad idea because the abilities are so core to the combat system. But at the same time, like, what I've noticed so far is what I really like about it is it keeps kind of like introducing new things and like swapping out how you want to approach combat like you keep kind of having this like steady drip feed of like okay here's something new here's something new, here's something new so i could see there being like sections where maybe like you don't have your abilities but you have something else instead mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that kind of like sw switches up how the combat feels just for like certain encounters so yeah i, d yeah, I mean they're gonna do something right they, they would never just mm -hmm. have this amazing combat system yeah. and then take it away from you like <laughs> there's, there's no way they're gonna do that but it is interesting like you say like what's it gonna be i i mean is, is torgul's moveset gonna get expanded are we gonna play as another character that doesn't need magic because we already played as mm -hmm. joshua once and he had a totally different moveset you know like um mm -hmm. and will clive have a different weapon like there's just there's a lot of possibilities and it's just one of those things that i think is is like something to keep in mind Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree completely. There's so many questions still. I feel like so much has happened, but yet we're yeah, still so We haven't even got to the, the good game. part of the story developments yet. Yeah. So so let's get there. We are our whole goal of going this direction of the game has been in the uh, attempt to get to Phoenix Gate. Um which I always feel like it should have like a like a number beside it, you know, like people always call things in like news in our world like something gate like 2022. It's like oh <laughs> Phoenix Gate 2020 like 800. Oh my god, you've ruined this for me now. I'm never gonna hear them say <laughs> Phoenix Gate again. It makes me laugh every time. But like that's just the name of the place. It's a super cool area, but obviously it's where like Ifrit and the Phoenix fought the first time. It's crumbled. It's in ruins, and we're chasing this elusive hid like uh, hooded, hooded man, man down there. Um. And finally get there and oh my god this was like as cool as the garuda section mm -hmm. i think in terms mm -hmm. of gameplay and how it kept one-upping itself so uh tell me i know you just played this more recently yeah. so what did you think of well you, you know it's interesting because i think we get a little bit um of our expectations subverted in this section because we were shown earlier in the game that the hooded man is joshua like an older version mm -hmm. of joshua but when you actually go to phoenix gate as clive and you, uh, you know, you make it through this kind of section. You're kind of fighting your way through the the remains of like this big ruined area, and you come to this big, like tab stone tablet on the wall, and it's got this, you know, really interesting art on it. And Clive kind of has this, like, you know, he's like, oh, like his head hurts, and clearly he's like, you know, um, talking with with Ifrit and like going through his memories. And and I I found that whole scene just so so compelling, like. The um, mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen played a game where they they like have you play out personal conflict in a way like this. Like right now, the whole the one of the biggest through lines of Clive's story has been him realizing that it was actually him who was Ifrit. He was responsible for Joshua's death and like 
wrangling that in his mind because we were presented as like he didn't know but now this next section is kind of presented as like no he did know and he's like repressed this memory and now he's coming to terms with like the grief of knowing that he's done this that he's responsible and then this whole scene when he goes into this um this you know tablet he's he he witnesses the death and he like meets a younger version of himself who is actually like the hooded man in this situation because we were expecting to see joshua pull the hood up right and like talk mm -hmm. to him but it was actually him uh which is very interesting and so you do that whole combat thing where you like as clive you fight ifrit but it's not actually ifrit because you're ifrit and so you're like mm -hmm. you know killing this this demon i guess that's been haunting clive and and eventually you like fuse with your younger self and i think that was just such a beautiful way to personify like coming to terms with that dark part of his past and then and then you know like the once you transform to ifrit yourself and you're having that um there's a big cinematic fight you know and you don't get to control a lot of it this time like you did in that that other ifrit sequence but i think that's for the best to be honest because it would have been maybe a little bit repetitive but i mean it was just so cool the way that that the visuals worked out and and uh, what a what a stunning way to to represent that kind of narrative. Um, did, what what did you think of the scene? Like, are you, are you on the same page with me? I I completely agree. Like, I was blown away by the whole sequence. I think this is such a good example of something that like video games can do over other or, like above other other mediums. Is mm -hmm. like you know in a book like you'd read about the conflict and you'd be there with the character, especially if it's first person. You're quite complicit. Or in a movie, they would you know show similar visuals of having the both characters on screen at the same time. But this like just being able to like play it at the same time adds such a tangibility to it, and it's so you feel so much more connected to the character in a sense. And like you're right when it was the first reveal that it was Clive. It's like wait, what's going on? And then you realize yeah. like. Yeah, you're not like physically fighting anyone. You're physically fighting like the representation of the denial that Clive has been holding inside him the entire time. And like some part deep down knew that it was him that did it, but he had, you know, put so much stake into like, no, it wasn't, it was the hooded man. Like if I can just track down and kill the hooded man, I'll be redeemed for what happened to Joshua. And Joshua will have like the revenge he deserves. But like, you know, part of him like knew it was a farce. And so he's um, like confronting that within himself. And instead of just, you know, accepting that, like you you physically battle through it and like take down that demon and, him and accept that that's who you are, like you are Ifrit. And it was such a cool, cool sequence. And the fight was fun. And then obviously the big mechanic that um, kind of the elephant in the room on this fight is that you get the... Uh, god of war spartan rage <laughs> mechanic right. um but this time it's it's your limit break which i know is a big final fantasy thing yeah uh as well and so you just go basically like god mode um and you have like your melee combo is now this like amazing like fiery like sword spin and you have these other abilities you can use mm -hmm. uh within that mode and so like it's kind of like a bar that you build up while you're fighting and then you can like choose when to activate it so it's just another wrinkle on top of what's already being like a big cool bombastic combat system that you just like also have at your disposal now mm -hmm. um yeah I, I found it really fun and it's like so cinematic though there's like flames all over your screen it's nice. yeah and and at that point too like i was, I was so that fight it's it's really cool the way they introduce it they call it, like they call it being semi-primed which is what we've seen mm -hmm. um sid do it and benedicta did yeah. it when they were kind of like 
not fully transformed into the icon, but they were clearly like powered mm-hmm. up versions of regular people. And, um, you know, it does feel really powerful. And I love the way that Clive kind of had to learn that from himself. Like he learned, you know, the, the game doesn't just tell, like it doesn't pause the game and tell you Clive is now stronger and you can do this move. Like the alternate shadow version of you does it to you and you have to like, Clive has to learn from his own past. Like, it, it, I don't know. It's like he's teaching himself in a way that's not mm-hmm. just a game tutorial. Like you're actually seeing that happen too, along with him mentally coming to grips with what's gone on. I think it all just ties together so, so seamlessly. It was great. And I'm mm-hmm. ex- so excited to have that new wrinkle to the, to the you know, combat as well, especially because it does seem to change things up quite a bit. And I'm excited to see sort of as we get more, icons and like more elements like can you prime yourself with other elements or like in other ways like how far does it go you know um that's very very fascinating and it's just another thing like to add on top of the the layers of combat you know and i think um to this point like despite we i know we both have some kind of moves that we maybe prefer but you know we've got probably 90 percent the same moves that we're using all the time but you know, this is just another wrinkle of like, well, are we going to use it all the time? Or like, by the time we get another 10 hours into this game, I all of a sudden would think that we'd almost have some kind of distinct moves that and combos that we've kind of sunk ourselves into using too. So I, I just like, uh, you know, the more variety, the better for combat, whether we're talking about the enemies earlier, the mechanics, you know, and this, this kind of thing, like you said, in God of War, it's not like it's a new mechanic, but it's just like, oh, of course, this game also has something like that. Like, it's not going to leave out any little detail. Um, yeah, it was great. And, and um, you know, narratively too, like just going back to that portion, like, and you said it's all in Clive's head. And I was I was wondering too, like, did he get transported somewhere? Like what's going on? But clearly, clearly that all just did happen in his head in a very short amount of time because Jill is right behind him and she's like, are you okay? Like that could have been mm-hmm. like, for her, it was probably like, what, 10 seconds? And yet it was this big, mm-hmm. long emotional sequence for Clive. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I think this like, you know, I'm full steam ahead after this section. Mm-hmm. I, I think I just keep liking the game more and more. Um, one other thing I don't think we touched on in Phoenix Gate is I just think the template that they went through was really cool too. Yes. Like the Iron Golem fight was a really fun boss. Um, that was kind of like, they always put this like cool boss right before you do this like insane boss. <laughs> so it's like, oh, that was really cool. Like I'm satisfied. That could have just been the boss there. And then they're like, no, wait. Hang on. You guys <laughs> you want to see something for real? <laughs> Um, but it's cool and I, I think that area was really neat too. The enemy design felt very different um, from like what we've seen kind of on the overworld because the idea is it's kind of like these are ruins of like a past civilization. Um, so they're kind of like mysterious and not fully understood. So it definitely felt like a very different atmosphere, which I quite liked. And then they were quite fun. Um, it was really cool, I think, too, to see like one of the enemies was like the bombs, like those like big yeah, fire yeah, yeah. things. And like I rec- I remember those from Final Fantasy Tactics, which I'm they're normally like little pixel sprites. And so uh <laughs> the super cool like, oh it's the bomb, like I know that guy. Yeah. And, and that's so like, cool in, too. In 3D and like you knew he was gonna explode too, right? Because of like playing that game. Yeah. So like you already had an innate knowledge mm-hmm. of what he was gonna try to do to you, which is I think that's just such mm-hmm. a fun thing about playing sort of long running series like this too, because obviously this isn't turn based, but he's gonna have the same properties. Of like what he's trying mm-hmm. to do like i just love that kind of through line of of playing the, the these games yeah. 
I think so too. And it's really strong. Like I can imagine if you've played a lot of Final Fantasy games, you must like, that must happen pretty frequently. But mm. for me, like Tactics is kind of the only one I have, but it's a neat jump because that's an older like pixel style game. And so to see it like things I'm very familiar with in these like beautiful 3D rendered models is mm-hmm. so exciting every single time something new happens. Yeah, 100%. Uh, what a sweet game, hey? Um I, I think I'm out on this, honestly. Like, I don't I don't have too much more to say. I know we have um, a lot more to play. You're a little bit further than I am now. Is there anything else you wanted to mention, or should we end it here? I think um, anything else is, is past, perhaps, where you have played. Yeah. So we will call this our section two. Um, and I guess whatever comes past Phoenix Gate until the next kind of big pivotal moment uh will be section three for uh in an upcoming soon episode hopefully next week hopefully next week we'll see how far we get but i guess for now that's going to close us out uh for the games we've been playing of course video game style because we're gonna have one more topic here before listener mail which is arkham horror uh a board game (laughs) which i've heard you talk a lot about before but you know not on the podcast i don't think so please arkham horror yeah so I did a board game last week. Uh, I'm going to continue this weird trend. I really didn't play many games this week. I just somehow ended up board gaming a lot more. Um, so Arkhamore is like probably one of the, well, I mean, aside from Gloomhaven, it is my favorite board game. Uh, it's another very like campaign style game uh, with a with a group that you're playing cooperatively. Um, but what's really cool about this game is it's very narrative focused and it's in that Lovecraft kind of, uh, style, which obviously, you know, I spoke about my Bloodborne tattoo earlier, something that I really am drawn to. It's one um, of the best art and styles, it, it, no doubt about it. And I just love the concept of these like horrific monsters that like are too like beyond the scope of what humans can understand. And there's a lot of like crazy cosmic stuff going on. Like sometimes it's like elder gods and temples, and sometimes like you're in space and there's like creatures doing experiments on you and it's just it is so there's so much variety within this kind of central idea of the cosmic horror genre that mm-hmm. i really like as long as you like and horror so, as long as you like horror and it's got variety <laughs> it's gonna be kind of creepy so for heads up on that one but arkhamora is just a really cool game um it's like a pseudo deck builder so how it works everybody picks a character um there's kind of like classes of characters kind of like in a tcg where like blue cards tend to be good at this sort of thing and green cards tend to be good at a different sort of style and obviously there's some overlap but they kind of have like various archetypes and so you build a character that belongs to one of these colors um there's like deck like cards you build the deck from and then each character comes with their own unique like stat line and their own couple unique cards that only they get to play as well as like an ability um, so some characters might be really good at fighting and some characters are really good at like collecting clues, which you typically use to like, that's kind of like the, the way you win the game is collecting clues to then like solve the mystery. And then other characters might be really good at like supportive things. Like one guy can give an action to another player on his turn. So your fighter's really overwhelmed by enemies and he's like, oh, here you go. Like fight again on, you know, have some of my turn to help you. So there's a lot of variety in the characters. And the cool thing about the game is, like, mechanically, it is super incredibly fun. Like, there's a lot of, like, of depth of what you do on your turn, how you interact with the board and the cards in your hand. Um, 
But what else is cool about it is it's very narrative-based. So you get a campaign, they're usually about eight scenarios, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, uh, especially with all the fan-made ones. The community is amazing. They've made like Alice in Wonderland we played through, we played through a Pokemon campaign. Our, we played like, a Pokemon for one night. This is where I, my only experience with this game yeah. is, is playing that one version, which is very yeah, cool. Like, very cool. There's so much going on. Um, and so you kind of will start out, you make your deck, you do a scenario. And then based on how you did in the scenario, whether you, there's usually like a few different outcomes you can choose, ways to end the, the scenario. There's outcomes based on that you didn't actually complete your objective. You ran out of time. Maybe your characters died. <laughs> like There's a lot of stuff you can do and that changes how the story progresses from then on. So you'll read different resolutions in the book based on what you did. And then oftentimes, in addition to that, you're, you have to make a choice between scenarios and that will influence all the future scenarios. So whenever you play it, it really feels like the game is being built around what you're doing, mm -hmm. both in terms of like the mechanics of how you've played and then also in the narrative decisions that you make. And then, so you get all of that done and then you have like, experience points which you use to then buy better cards for your deck so a lot of cards like this is a level one like kind of crappy version of that card but you can upgrade it to be a better version or just like you know grab newer things and then you go to the next scenario and then now you're playing with your new deck but also with the little augments that have happened because of what you did before and it's just got this beautiful like narrative that runs through it and then of course like we always you know, you you build a narrative in that game as well. Like we have a character called Beat Cop and he's just a card you can buy to put in your blue deck. And he's like some random police officer card you can play and he's an ally and he can like hurt himself to do one damage to an enemy. But we just had coincidentally like killed a boss once or twice with Beat Cop being like the extra damage we needed. So now we have this narrative where like anytime beat cops on the field is like, we got to make sure he gets the kill. Like <laughs> beat cop is the real hero and he's just some like generic crappy card. Um, but it's like really one of those games you, you kind of like build, like there's so much narrative in the game, but you also build this like narrative as you play in terms of like what your characters are doing and like what kind of like personality they have. And mm -hmm. you know, um, I think, I think listening to you over the last little bit, like talk about these legacy games and, you know, on one hand, I'm like, oh my God, like that's such a commitment, you know, like it's, it's, there's mm -hmm. so much like to get that level of like, uh, like personalized story, you like, you obviously have to play and like form that mm -hmm. rapport with the group. And it's like, on one hand, it's like, I don't think I would ever be in that situation, but then vicariously hearing all these experiences that you have is just like, oh, that sounds like so great, you know, and just having mm -hmm. like your own your own experience with something that is already like very like depending how you play it's very unique compared to like how another group might play but then also you're making mm -hmm. these like meta meta narratives around like yeah. stupid things that are obviously not part of the game i just i really like that whole um, aspect like the i find it really wholesome <laughs> i agree I, I think i love these games uh, i think like part of it is like what dungeons and dragons wants to do i think but it's like taking that element of like the social thing and like building a story and putting it onto a game that's like, it's a game first. So the mechanics are really fun. Like you could in theory sit and play this by yourself if you wanted to, and it would be like a good time because you're sort of playing against the game and like you have a finite amount of time to, to solve these problems. But 
I think like when you add in the other players and really do like pay attention to the narrative aspect of it, it takes like what I think is fun about like the perfect D and D group, but it's condensed into like, okay, I'm playing a game that's also really fun at the mm-hmm. same time mm-hmm. and I don't have to play D and D. And then that's awesome. Yeah, and it's also not incumbent <laughs> on one person to like produce this grand narrative yes. and like, you know, some people are into that, but it also requires that your group has someone like that. Whereas this is just like, exactly. you've got to just all understand the rules. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like, you know, if you're playing a board game, that's something you do anyway. But I really love this style of board game. It's like, you really encompassing and you're meant to kind of play back to back and, and throughout instead of just sitting down, putting the board out. That was a fun two hours, clean it up, done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So cool. I like it. I like it. It's, you know, the theming is on the cherry on top of what sounds like a very fun mm-hmm. game. So. Exactly. Uh, That's I, some of the best parts. So I, hopefully next week I'll play some video games. We'll <laughs> see how much Arkham Horror well, I get in instead. The thing is you have played video yeah. games. The problem is, is this it's just Final Fantasy because that's what I've been playing too. Yeah. There's a reason that's my true. other game was the Pikmin demo. It's because that's short. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. When I do have time, it's like, ooh, Final yeah. Fantasy time. Hey, Florence is looking uh, like a good good option for next week though. One hour? Oh man. <laughs> okay, on my to-do list. That's fun. All right, folks, it's time to get uh, towards the end of the show here, but we all, of course, have to close out with listener mail, as we always do. Uh, so, Kate, go ahead and read today's question. Yeah, so I really like our question today um, because it's just a really good thing to spotlight um and i'm gonna paraphrase because i don't have it right in front of me so apologies but the question is like what is on what game is on your two playlist that's kind of like a niche game that people might not have heard about um so yeah kind of like highlighting just a a really creative or interesting indie game um, yeah is another way to read it it's a good question and it's funny it's ironic timing because i just i just came across earlier the the reviews for viewfinder came out today um mm-hmm. this that indie game we've been talking about for a while where it's just like the mind bending kind of image game where you can move perspectives and walk into pictures and stuff like that and the game got like amazing reviews from what i've seen like eights and nines and a few tens and whatnot and it's just like that is the definition of a game for this this listener mail question but i guess we can't use it now because we've already talked about it so <laughs> yeah there's a few i mean would plucky squire fall into this or is that game kind of been shown too much do you think because that's the first one that came to to my mind yeah i don't know it's hard to say i would say like that's definitely like a really good indie game to keep an eye on i don't know if it's like a super niche one no mm-hmm. one's heard of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah it's kind of within that realm and it does look amazing yeah well i have i have one then that i want to mention because it just got announced today and this is mm-hmm. uh, obviously very small very niche uh have you heard of ratatan ratatan i have not heard of Rat-a-tan. okay have you heard of patapon Yes, I have heard of Patapon. Pon, Patapon. <laughs> so I, think everyone, you, I think you talked Patapon one day on I the did, show. I did. I did talk about Patapon mm-hmm. on the show. Patapon, of course, um, like old kind of niche PS Vita game. I think it was I think it was only on the Vita or something like that. But it was like a, a rhythm kind of creature catching, like exploration game, side scrolling. Like it's really unique. I don't think there's anything like like uh uh, what's that game? Uh, Patapon out there. Aside from Patapon, it is very fun. Um, you kind of do like different combinations of button presses on beat to make your guys either walk forward or back or attack or defend or whatever you need. And Rataton, Rataton, I don't know how to say it, um, was just announced today, but it is a spiritual successor for Patapon. Very similar art style. It's from the guy who originally uh, was one of the creative directors on the original Patapon. I believe one of the sound designers is also coming back for it. 
And it is clearly, clearly like Patapon, except they made it Rataton. <laughs> Uh, but it looks really cool. And like, I'm excited for a game like that to come back. I love that these days you can kind of see these, these developers that wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be greenlit by Sony probably to make another pat upon, but they can take that kind of, uh, knowledge they have and make their, their own studio and make the spiritual successor, which is really cool. Um, and I love the design of it too. Like pat upon is very rounded and kind of black and, and um, just like with very nice gradient colored backgrounds. But this game has more of like a, a spiky kind of anime take on its characters. And, and they use like, there's one with a guitar and like one with a trombone that comes up, but it's like spiked and stuff. Uh, I just I just really like the way it looks. The trailer shows you basically nothing, but I've played Pat Upon. I know what to expect. And I definitely want to watch this one. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to be looking it up. It's really hard not to call it Ratata. Yeah, <laughs> Um, but that that's super cool. Um, I will definitely look into that. Uh, it's it's funny you picked that because I also picked a rhythm game. No way. To go over. <laughs> um, this is this game is out already. It came out in December of last year, so pretty new. And from what I can find, it is the first game by this developer called Half Asleep. Um, but it looks really neat. I've yet to play it, but it's been on my playlist for a long time. It's called Melatonin. And it's really got a very like soft, uh, kind of like pink, almost like lo-fi kind beautiful. of art style. It's gorgeous. And it is also a rhythm game. And it's about um, like dreams and reality merging together. So that's the name Melatonin, which is like, you know, kind of like a sleep aid. And apparently it's meant to be like a more of like a relaxing rhythm game. It's not going to be like one of those ones that goes like crazy but there's like sound cues and it's all done like um, based on animation, not based on having like an overlay. So there isn't going to be like buttons that you have to press or like at a certain time that like come through the screen. Like it's supposed to be really just like intuitive to play. Um, and the music is kind of like, it's got that really lo-fi kind of vibe, a lot of really creative looking areas. Uh, I think there is actually a hard mode if you really want to have like an intent, more of an intense, section but i get the impression it's supposed to just be like a really unique experience going through different levels like there's somewhere you're in a spaceship there's one where you're like playing baseball and some like weird like dolly kind of art style and there's another one where you're like almost like cuphead flying through like eating and it's just like it seems like such a bizarre game yeah but it's so compelling to me because of the way that it's been presented you know i i love rhythm games so yeah, you know, this doesn't surprise me you're into this at all because uh, this is just like lo-fi chill WarioWare. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh my God. I would never have compared it to Wario. But it's just chill, a bunch of random mini, mini games. You're like probably pressing some simple buttons at a good time. Like this is lo-fi WarioWare. I, I am going to play it now just to prove you wrong. Because I, I, I think there's no way I've been subconsciously like programmed to just want to play any kind of micro <laughs> mini game game. Um, but I'll play it with an open mind, and if yeah. that's what it is, no, it looks good. It I mean... But I want to stress that it's a really gorgeous game, and it doesn't at all look no. like Wario. <laughs> not in our style. There. Not in our style. I agree, though. I remember <laughs> seeing this at whatever direct it was that we, whenever last year when it came out, and I remember both of us at the time were like, "Wow, that looks like something to keep an eye on for sure." Um, mm -hmm. I'm glad you reminded me of it here, actually, because now I'm interested to see what you think. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
Cool. Well, that's our listener mail question for today. Of course, we would love it if you let us know uh, what's on your to-do list uh, to play next because we're always looking for cool game ideas. And if you have something to shout out, uh, let us know. You can write into cloudcontrolpod at proton.me or comment wherever you're listening to the show. And of course, you can do the same to write in your question for next time because we're always looking to fill up the listener mail bag and uh, get your question read on the show. So thank you so much for, for sending those in. Um, and I think with that, it's going to close us out for the episode today. We've done like a prime showcase. It's an hour and one minute. How perfect is that, hey? Oh, my God. Amazing. Uh, you know, and that's just because this is a show that's not just good, it's good enough. <laughs> uh, of course, we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>